0: So excited to be here today. This is the fourth in our Leadership Exchange Live Biba edition. And in this series, we are um, having exchanges between thought leaders where we're talking breast and chest feeding and HIV. This program has been essential in our efforts to help get the word out, to raise awareness, to inspire action, and to ensure that women and other birthing people living with HIV can experience their fundamental right to make informed, uncoerced infant forming. Feeding decisions. I think I got it. And I am so glad, lucky, humbled to be here today with Leela Pollack. I'm going to have you introduce yourself in a moment, but our topic today are the updates that were just made to the the perinatal HIV clinical guidelines. So if you could just introduce yourself and we'll get right in.
1: Hi. I'm so, so honored to be here today and very excited um, to talk about the updates and the guidelines. My name is Leila Pollack. I'm a family physician and HIV specialist um, at the University of California, San Francisco.
0: Oh, okay. So I was telling Leila, it just feels like we've And we've worked together so much and not much of it has been in person, but it's such a connection. And I thank you so much for the work that you do and have done and continue to do. So we're just going to jump right in to the questions. So what what impact do you think? No, Sorry. Sorry, excuse me. I'm going to start over <laughs> with my questions. We are here to talk about some very pertinent changes that were recently made to the perinatal HIV clinical guidelines. Can you please explain what these guidelines are?
1: Yeah, so the um, the perinatal guidelines are um, guidelines that are developed by uh, the, d- the, there's a Department of Health and Human Services. Um it, part of the Department of Health and Human Services is the Office of AIDS Research, and the Office of AIDS Research is tasked with basically putting together clinical guidelines for the care of people living with HIV in the United States. Um, There is a guidelines panel that's made up of clinicians and researchers and community members um, from around the United States and actually a couple from Canada. And there is, there are a few different panels, a few different sets of guidelines. The pertinent ones that we'll talk about today are the perinatal guidelines, which are really focused on HIV treatment and prevention for pregnant people um, and their babies. Um, And then the pediatric guidelines, which is focused on prevention and treatment of HIV for, um, for children and adolescents. Sorry, really for children, the adolescent and adult guidelines are separate guidelines. Yeah, so that's more or less what they are.
0: Okay, okay. So I heard a big, a couple big names in there. So it's like Office of AIDS Research. And then I heard that even community can be involved in this. So there's a panel that puts these together. How do you, how would one like get on a panel or how can community members be represented there?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So every year, the panels put out a call for new members. Um, and sometimes they're looking for specific things. So sometimes they're specifically looking for new community member members. Um, panel members. Sometimes they're looking specifically for um, clinician or researcher panel members, but there's an application process and basically you submit and say, here's why I have expertise in this area. Here's, um, you know, for community members, like here's my lived experience. Here's why this is a, an important topic to me. And here's why I think I have something to contribute to this. Um, and it's a really, a really important and essential part of the panel and the community members are full voting members of the panels they show up to the meetings um every month the same way as everybody else really their participation and input is on a, a totally equal level with everyone else on the panel
0: it is so decent okay so i'm ready for mine. My... <laughs> um,
1: so so cc tell me about you know you um have you know have really been an advocate and pushing for these changes in the guidelines. Um, so I'd love to hear from your perspective, kind of what the change in the guidelines means, and really kind of what it what it says and what you think it it means and what impact it'll have for for women and other birthing
0: people with HIV. Oh, that is such a big question. So like the impact first, the first impact that I feel is that I got more of my bodily autonomy back, like is not necessarily in hearing from other community members. Um, Everybody, even with, you know, the updated guidelines, people still choose to not breastfeed. Like people still choose to, like, that's just something I don't want to do. Great. Like it's the fact that you were able to make that choice and that no one took that choice away from you because you were living with HIV. So now I feel like, you know, there's less one less thing of me that is impacted and affected because of my HIV status. Then, you know, the fact that they put in there that um child protective services is not Like, you just should not. That's not how we should be handling things. I know it wasn't those words, but paraphrase. Um, The idea. (laughs) (laughs) Like, to have that in paper and and writing something for someone to refer back to, you should not be calling Department of Human Services, DHS, or Child Protective Services on me because I chose and desire to want to feed my baby from my body. It just still sticks with me that. You know, DHS was brought up when I just called to inquire about my medication. I needed my medication changed because it sh- when it sounded the bottle, it said that I should not take it if I was living with HIV. And when I expressed my desire to breastfeed, DHS got bored into the conversation. I was only six weeks pregnant. Like, we don't even know if the baby is going to stick around yet. Mm-hmm. Six weeks. And that is one of the scariest things that a parent could be faced with is having any entity come into your home, you know? So yeah. that's extremely impactful. The fact that, you know, I could refer a provider back to a document that says, look, I should get the res- support. I, maybe you not the one to give it to me, but I should receive the support. See? So that's what it feels like to me. Oh. Um I know I've kind of started talking about some of the changes but would you like to explain you know maybe in a more <laughs> <laughs> rounded way of some of the changes that were just made.
1: Yeah. So I mean I think you know you really touched on it that the biggest change is really this focus on choice. Um and uh at a at the the big a big HIV meeting that that just happened last week or earlier this week, um, I heard somebody, one of the moderators say something like, you know, the, um, the, the key word for this year for, for in the world of HIV is choice. Um, And that is, I mean, it should have been that way for decades. So it it is uh, disappointing to say the least that it's taken us so long to listen to community members and get to a place where, you know, we're really saying like, we, we we trust you with your body and your health and and your family's health and and we want to engage you really as like full participants in your healthcare decisions. Um so specifically around infant feeding what the guidelines say is that for is that really anyone with HIV who's pregnant should be engaged in a conversation about infant feeding. Um and And that for people with HIV who are on antiretrovirals with an undetectable viral load, um, at least during the third trimester and at delivery, that really you should be offered the choice of how you wanna feed your baby um, and talk through the options of breast or chest feeding, uh, giving formula or um, giving human donor milk um, in scenarios where that's available to somebody. and this is a huge change because for decades the guidelines for people with HIV have said you we recommend that you not breastfeed, um, and recommend uh, even feels more permissive than it has been for a very long time. Um, it's really been a pretty stark prohibition against breastfeeding, um, and really I think it's taken you know years and years of advocacy from people like yourself, CC, to say like look I. I, I, I have looked into this research. I know the fact that the risk of HIV transmission is is very, very low. We have very effective treatments for HIV. Um, I understand that maybe we can't say for sure that there's a scenario where the risk is zero, but we also know that there are huge benefits to breastfeeding in terms of your health, your baby's health, the bonding with the baby, the convenience of you know, breastfeeding isn't always easy as I think any of us who have breastfed know. it is can be very challenging, but it also can be really like lovely and convenient to roll over in the middle of the night and give a crying baby your boob and not have to get up and heat up water and make formula. Um, so to be able to give people with HIV... Access to that is is huge, um, and is the main change in the guidelines. Um, and then also says, as you pointed out, that um, that engaging uh, CPS or other um, or other similar agencies um, in response to somebody's infant feeding decisions, any infant feeding decisions, is not an appropriate response.
0: Oh yay! I just said, say amen to that, Leela. <laughs> That's um, a Beautiful day. I'm sorry. And it,
1: no, no, I was just, you know, it, it still breaks my heart to hear your story about somebody threatening to call um, DHS when they don't, they didn't know anything about you as a parent and how much, you know, what you were thinking about in your decisions about how to feed your baby and, and, and how you were really, you know, you were, you were, I mean, I'd love to hear from you kind of you know, how you made that decision, but you were doing it for the best of you and your family. So for somebody to assume that you making that decision meant anything bad about you as a parent is just, I'm sorry that that happened to you. And I hope, I hope that we can build a world where that doesn't happen to anyone
0: else. Well, thank you, and unfortunately, you know, my story is only one story of so many others doing this work, you get to come across so many and to see, to see the way that so many parents are criminalized because of their HIV status followed by their feeding choice um, for their children is disheartening because you, you often feel like you have your back up against the wall. Heather <clears throat> who's in the comments, you know, she's also a really big advocate who's had the chance to feed both of her children from her body. And we both get exposed to so many different stories where it's like we're standing on one side where we were able to obtain it because of our privilege in a sense. Like, And as a Black woman in America, I don't often feel like I have access to privilege. Like I'll say that all the time, but breastfeeding... And HIV has definitely made me feel in a sense that I do, because I had access to resources, like my proximity to them were extremely close, and I had that. And then when other moms and parents reach out to me, and we've tried to reach out to the hospital or to caseworkers or anybody else, just a response, you know, and they get so angry, too. Mm-hmm. People are really, this is a passionate topic. So I'm grateful that we're able to sit yeah. here and, you know, just talk it out and that you understand that listening peace is so important. And that is what allowed me to make my decision was that I had folks that listened to me, listened to my desires why I wanted to listen to the type of person that I'm like, I take my medication, I go to my provider's appointments, I take care of my health the way that I'm supposed to. So like, what is the reason why you would tell me no or withhold that information from me other than the fact that I'm living with HIV and at risk of transmission is less than 1% when I'm undetectable. So I, I just, I don't. I didn't get it, but I'm grateful for providers like you who take the time to understand the parents' ambition, understand that it's not just, you know, you can't just say a blanket answer, a no for everybody. That's You can't tell me what I'm supposed to do with my body neither, because you don't like people mm-hmm. telling you what to do with your body. So don't tell me what to do with mine. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: And I'm so grateful to 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 parents and advocates like you and Heather who have shared your stories and allowed us to to learn from you and your journeys.
0: Um, Yeah.
1: We've talked a little bit, you know, about this, but I'd love to hear kind of what you hope to see as a result of the updated guidelines.
0: What I would like to see is that, I would like people to not feel so afraid to bring these conversations up with either their provider or with the person that they're providing services to. Like the conversation should be had. The conversation should not be avoided because you are afraid of my answer. Like I said a few moments ago, most of us, many of us are not going to want to breastfeed. Like Mm -hmm. just not going to want to do it. So don't make that be the reason why you don't, bring the conversation up. I would like to see more trainings, like, more people bringing this into their clinics, into their spaces, so that the information is able to get out. I don't know. There's so many things that I envision in my head, but (laughs) I was... um, like, when I'm talking about training, I'm thinking about you as a provider. What impact do you think that these changes will have in practice? Like, do you, Yeah. like, will it be fast? Or it
1: <laughs> oh, I wish. <laughs> That's <a good> <laughs> I think in some places it will be fast. I think there are some places that have been that have experience supporting people with HIV who breast or chest feed um, and who, you know, have been anticipating these changes and are developing protocols and putting teams in place. Um, I think those places are more likely going to be like urban academic centers first. Um, but I think, you know, hopefully there'll be a lot of work through the, AIDS education and training centers and through community organizations like you guys, um, doing education to really reach providers who may not, you know, may not be uh, totally like, you know, checking the guidelines every week to see what's been updated. Um, And I think I just want to, like you mentioned something about fear, about the fear that providers have that makes them not open the conversation, and I think that that is so um, important to talk about and so real that, you know, I think as providers, we have, you know, we've been trained, like, do no harm, you know, your goal is, like, zero HIV transmissions, like, such a singular focus on on prevention, which is important, but it takes away from really thinking about more of, like, a holistic view of health um, and of the health of the mom or the birthing parent and the health of the baby. Um, And I think that when, when providers don't have kind of a clear set of, like, A a roadmap to follow of like, here's what I do, here's what the guidelines say, here's how often I'm going to check mom's viral load, here's like what prophylaxis I'm going to put the baby on. Like, those kind of unknowns, just to be totally fair and transparent, make providers scared. And I think when providers are scared, often we kind of like feel backed into a corner and end up in this sort of like defensive posture of like, if I'm scared and I don't know what to do, then I'm not going to have the conversation. I'm definitely not going to let you do something that I don't know how to handle. And so I think like part of my hope with these guidelines is that it will, um, there's still a lot of questions. There's still a lot of, you know, I think this is still definitely a, a, a process in evolution, um, but I think hopefully it will give providers a roadmap to say like, okay, there's actually like a little, paragraph in the guidelines of, like, here's how you can even bring up this conversation. Here's some language you can use. Here's some framework for how to think about, like, how often to do testing. Here's some framework for thinking about how to have a conversation about, like, should your baby be on medications the whole time you're breastfeeding or just, you know, right after you give birth? Kind of those kind of questions that hopefully will, I think, really allow providers to feel more comfortable so that we can listen if that makes sense.
0: Absolutely that makes sense and I think that conversations like these um, more intimate conversations you know among our peers, I think that will be extremely impactful moving forward. Um I know that it means a lot more when it's coming from someone else that like like a provider to a provider, a peer from a yeah. peer sometimes like that. Yeah. That means a
1: lot. And one of the things I love about this kind of like format that you do is like first like modeling how to have a conversation and listen to each other. Um and also I do think that it's a combination of voices that's super important like i think it's super important to hear your voice and the voice of other people who have breastfed their infants to be able to like understand like oh this isn't actually about me (laughs) um and then uh also um and then also like you're saying like hearing from a provider who's saying like this is okay like we can do this um and you know we we've talked about like the the focus on choice um in the new guidelines like not recommending breastfeeding or formula feeding but providing information and guidance and letting the pregnant individual decide for themselves and um i'd love to hear if you have any recommendations for providers about best ways to engage in this conversation with their patients and is there a, information that you think it's important to share or questions that you think are helpful to to ask. I know your experience is only your own experience, but your experience is important. I know you've also had lots of conversations with other people who have thought about these decisions for themselves, too.
0: Ooh, that's such a hard conversation. So how I got it and because I wanted to, like, follow everything about the book was exclusive breastfeeding for, like, the first six months, um, so that meant that for me, that as long as I was breastfeeding, that I could not introduce any formula into the conversation. Now these are these were conversations that were having was having with the pediatrician along the way, and like I understood because I wanted to walk this straight line that isn't really defined, but kind of um, that was hard. And I think just <clears throat> we were in the In the doctor once a month so that the baby could Zuri, so that Zuri could get her blood work checked and we could get her checked and get new meds if needed. And so those were the times when I would have those conversations with her. And there was one point when I was ready to stop because it just felt like. I was still scared. I was scared because although I was getting tests back that were negative, all of the unknowns were still scary. So I'm like, okay, I done, I've had enough. I, I did it. We've bonded. <laughs> We've done all of this. And so I was ready to introduce formula, and that was fine. And so the pro- Pediatrician was even willing to help me figure out ways how to wean zuri off of because they don't even tell you things like that um that you like that you should take time when you're pulling the baby off of your breast mm-hmm. um that's a whole other thing I, my mind just went back to how I didn't get lactation support for so long in the hospital. I'm going to compartmentalize that, but the, you know, the weaning of, but I definitely received the support from the provider to keep going and she kept giving me, um, you know, context and why, how low the risk was, or are you sure? Do you, but these are your alternatives. I never felt forced into one way, just leaving it open. Like, you can give me information without putting your own personal feelings into it. I'm a real logical person. I can, these are what the facts are. Okay. So, with those facts, I'm going to make this decision. And I had room enough to do that. And I know that that makes a difference within our care, even outside of breast and chest feeding. Like, like, just mm-hmm. being able to make that choice for yourself. Um, mm-hmm. I was oh, hoping I answered your question. I didn't answer yeah,
1: okay. no, you did. Um, and, and I think, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I know you were kind of compartmentalizing it, but you said something about <laughs> lactation support um, that I just wanted to follow up on, which is that, you know, I think part of what is, like, exciting and challenging about um about offering people choice and really like supporting people who choose to breastfeed is that it, it should ideally be like a team effort that involves you as the patient and whoever is your support people, um, whether that's family, friends, your like online community and network, um, and also a team of providers, like with, you know, the, the, Mom or birthing person's provider, or the baby's provider, um, case management or social work to help when there are, you know, issues with, um, like insurance issues or issues with picking up your medications. Like we need to have a team of people that you can easily reach out to and say like, the pharmacy's out of my medicines. I need you to help me like find a pharmacy that can get them. Um, but also having lactation support. And I think that's a really key piece that um, that is going to also require education of educating lactation professionals about this key change. And also like points to other Inequities and injustices in the system that uh, that insur- that insurances aren't required to to cover lactation support. So a lot of people and lactation consultants are expensive. Um, so so more people have access to lactation consultants in the hospital right after the baby's born. But obviously not everyone. And that first contact is so important. But, you know, then you go home and you're doing this, like, if it's the first time you've breastfed, you're doing this whole new thing that you've never done before. And that really people should have access, everyone should have access to lactation consultants to to help support them through that. So I think, you know, as we're like, as we're kind of rolling this out, we're also thinking about, what are other places where we need to um need to make changes and need to advocate and it's not just lactation support for people with HIV it's lactation support for everybody Um, but how can we really make sure that our our patients with HIV whether that's through like the La Leche League in their community or other um, lactation consultants have access to that
0: support absolutely because I didn't know what the heck I was doing and I was stuck in a room with a baby for three days and frustrated and crying and baby's crying. And where's the milk at? <laughs> and am I doing this right? Am um, I doing this right? Because it hurts.
1: <laughs> I feel like, even, yeah, when yeah. I breastfed my kids, there were so many tears mixed in with that breast milk. <laughs>
0: want to go back. Thank you so much for the comments that are coming in. I want to go back and address a few. I saw one that came up that said, I'm glad Dr. Pollitt talked about the fear of healthcare providers. These new guidelines give healthcare providers a roadmap. So I I definitely feel like we're at the beginning of a roadmap. I think mm-hmm. as we continue, you know, if we could get some research, that would be great. But as we continue to move forward, I do think that we will have more experiences to build from. And Mm. hence, I don't know, we'll all get better at this. I love that whole collaborative framework. Um, Next one was Dr. Pollock. Change Takes Time. How do I shift the mindset of my pediatrician, my OBGYN? Guidelines alone are not enough. There is a need to raise awareness among healthcare providers to consider the holistic.
1: Yeah, that's a very good question, and um, and you know, I, I think obviously I um, I wish that we had sort of the framework and the support to say you know to 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 reach out to every um, healthcare provider. I think there's some ways in which um, uh, we have. Initially, people people will need to be receptive to the information in some way. How do we create that receptivity, um, I think, is through like uh, a multi-pronged approach. I think it's through doing um, hopefully a lot of education, um, again, through the AIDS education and training centers, hopefully through other like maternal child health um. It platforms and agencies to re- reach people who may not necessarily see themselves as HIV providers, um, reaching out to primary care providers and people who work in federally qualified health centers and Ryan White clinics. Um, and then I think also, you know, the um, that for better or for worse, a lot of times providers do learn about new things through their patients coming in and saying like, hey, I read about this thing. I saw this thing. Is this something that we can research together um and bringing in materials from the well project and saying like you know maybe we can learn about this and then also um uh, I am the, the clinical director of the National Perinatal HIV Hotline, which is a 24-7 hotline that clinicians can call for questions about HIV care and prevention in pregnant women and birthing people and their babies. Um, and so also I would really encourage anyone who's having this conversation with their provider to bring them our number, and say, you know, here's a resource where you can ask questions and learn more about this. And I know, I recognize that that can feel like a really awkward position to ask, like, that I'm putting someone in of saying, like, advocate for yourself and bring this to your provider. Um, And I think that, you know, that is a, is gonna continue to be a huge and important part of being a partner um, in your own healthcare is finding a provider who you feel like you can trust if you do have choice in a provider um, and and being an advocate for your health and your knowledge.
0: Thank you so much for that question, Claire, because it was kind of where I was gonna go next. Anyway, thank you, Krista, for posting it. perinatal hotlines phone number so you know all of these things sound all great and we don't have the answers and we don't have a one to fix everything um we've lately come across some instances where providers are refusing you know refusing to listen refusing to call the perinatal hotline when it isn't a resource that is available they are refusing to provide prophylaxis to infants um, during the breastfeeding period, to sabotage, you know, a parent's plan to feed. Do you have any further advice for an individual that comes up against that wall? Like, is what can that
1: person? Do? What can they do? Um. I'm just to warn you, I'm going to put this question back to you. Um, mm-hmm. Also, of like what you've seen work or what tips you have for people. Um, but I think, uh, you know, I- ideally um, bringing up these conversations early in pregnancy um, to give people time, give providers time to, to do their own research and to kind of wrap their minds around the fact that this is a change from what they've done before. Um, asking for a consult with the pediatric providers early on too um, so that you know that they're on board and also have time to kind of get their resources together and sort of come up with a, a plan. Because um, I think, again, sort of getting back to this like point about fear. I think when, you know, when people feel like they're up against a, a clock, that can be another point that creates some kind of resistance and fear. Um, so trying to have the conversations early. Um, you know, I have um, offered to people to, um, like, Bring the perinatal hotline number or my cell phone number into meetings with providers um, with them and say, you know, look, can we call together and maybe have this conversation together? Um, Again, you know, I I can't guarantee that any of these tactics are going to work, but I think they're things to potentially try. Um, And then, really, like, kind of leaving material behind, like leaving, printing out some of the well project material and leaving it behind or, you know, sending somebody in if you have access to like um, a secure message with your provider in the, in your chart, um, sending a message saying like, here's some materials I would love if you or somebody on your team could look over them. Um, And I know, again, this is a, a privilege that not everyone has, unfortunately, But if you are able to say, you know, look, I'd really love to know if I can meet with another provider who maybe would be more supportive or see if there's a pediatrician in our community who who would actually help support me and help support my baby, kind of asking for a a second opinion. Um, I wish, unfortunately, you know, we don't have like a, a system or an ability to proactively like call an individual's provider and say, like, hey, listen, like, listen to me. (laughs) Um, So, uh, but I think giving them lots of opportunities to, to learn more and have some time and space to, to learn and process and come up with a plan. Um, But I'd be curious, Cece, when you have, you know, talked to people who have been in that situation, like, are there strategies that you found useful?
0: Absolutely. I love um, that first on it. You mentioned starting that conversation early. I know had I waited, had I assumed that my provider was going to be okay with it because of the great relationship that we had, have, um, I would have just assumed that she would have been on board with whatever I wanted. Had I made that very wrong assumption and waited until like 20 weeks pregnant, it would have made it a little bit more difficult to find the support that I needed to successfully breastfeed while living with HIV. Um, So definitely, and I do, I have been seeing that the people that are running into the issues the most and that are in the most panic are the ones who haven't brought the conversation up or had that conversation brought up with them until very late. And now, you know, they've been with the one provider their entire pregnancy and don't want to leave. And so it's either staying and not having that choice or traveling sometimes very far before they're able to have that choice. Mm -hmm. Um, I leaned on community a lot, a lot, a lot. And that was something, one of the tactics. One of the skills that I gained from therapy was understanding and building my community the way that I needed it to be built. And it didn't always look conventional. So I was able to link and connect with so many people from around the world on social media, people that were going through the same thing. Sometimes it wasn't even um, a person living with HIV who had breastfed. Sometimes it was just that support of breastfeeding that I needed, mm-hmm. this period, like some might understand. So I'm like, please know what it's like to be in a situation right now. And just continuing to use our voices. So those negative experiences are important to, like, somebody needs to hear about this, so that maybe we know, you know, as a community, that that's a place that we need to share our resources with, some place that needs to learn a little bit more, if they are taking their choice away from parents living with Mm HIV. Um,
1: Totally, that's such a good point, that if, you know, we can potentially try to do some, like, targeted outreach to health systems or clinics, if we're kind of learning like these are places that aren't up to date on the guidelines and aren't supportive and so it may it may be it may be too late sometimes to help that individual person unfortunately but hopefully we can use these yeah experiences and stories to improve care for people in the future and I know you guys at the well project are building a database of breastfeeding friendly providers right
0: yes we are working on it and if I if the link could be dropped. The email address could be dropped in the comment section. Yes, the list is coming slowly but surely. But, you know, the more we outreach and the more we get out into different spaces, you meet one more provider that is like, I would support this. Or I've been supporting this for years, you know, underneath the table. I couldn't really say anything to anybody. Or you will meet a parent who had the chance to breastfeed But don't was done secretly and they'll refer their provider over. So just one day it shouldn't have to be like so covert. Like we Mm -hmm. should be able to, you know, talk. Um, there goes the the link there that was just put into the comments. Um, that'll get shared. So if you are if you are a provider or you know any provider who would support a woman or a birthing person who is living with HIV to breast or chest feed their child. Please get in contact with us there. Um, Maria said a little while ago, she was saying how she's been living with HIV for like 30, what, 35 years. And she said she's so happy that she's allowed to witness this and for this amazing brave woman. Thank you. And all the research behind it, like Definitely, we have come a long way. I've only been positive for like fifteen years almost, and I see that we have come a long way. So, thank you to everyone in community. Thank you for all the voices that have been lifted up. Um, you know, the responses sometimes are slow, but we out here. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have a question for me, or is it my? Team?
1: Yeah. Um. Uh. Sorry. Um. Oh yeah, here's my question. So uh, <laughs> you've um, you've talked a lot about. Uh, I mean, you've talked some about your story of of breastfeeding Zuri, um, and also the support you've provided to 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 um, to other women who have wanted to breastfeed. Um, and uh, I'm curious, you know, what sort of additional support or structures do you wish existed, either inside or outside of the medical system, for pregnant people with HIV who are interested in Breastfeeding
0: support structures okay. So, uh, first at lactation, I would definitely start there. Um, just to reiterate that and bring it back home if the condition of my breasts and the condition of my nipples is bought up, is like you know, it could be a reason for a transmission if I'm like bleeding or doing whatever. I feel like. Everybody should get lactation support, of course. But I just felt like, why is someone not in here helping me? Like, if the HIV transmission is at the top of everybody's list of concerns, why is someone not in here helping me make sure that I'm doing this correctly? So that's the support. I'm definitely um benefited from mental health support, which I think should be available to all people who are having children. Like, that changes your life in a way that you sometimes can't explain it and you can't anticipate it. And having that support through postpartum, I feel like, is extremely important because then you just get dropped off after sometimes maybe that six-weeks appointment. And you need that support to keep going. It it makes it a little bit easier, lightens the load. I wish that I had access to a doula, somebody that could be in there and help advocate for me while I was, you know, up underneath for all those drugs inside the hospital. Um, I don't know, just a space, a a space to be able to. To just be and that have someone take care of me and baby, after that. So I don't know what resources are needed to be able to provide that to people, but I think we could all benefit from those.
1: And I love that you know, like you said, you know, a lot of those things you talked about are not it, not exclusive to to breastfeeding people with HIV. That you know, these are. Supports like mental health support for all pregnant and postpartum people and lactation support for all um, breast or chest feeding people are, are things that, um, that I think we would all love to see accessible to everyone. And I know that sometimes, you know, in HIV care, we are fortunate to have more resources um, because of Ryan White programs and other kind of HIV programs that actually aren't available to the general population. So it could potentially be like a, a great opportunity to take advantage of some of those resources to be able to provide some additional like tailored support.
0: Yes, yes, yes. I saw a comment just come in. Can you talk a little bit about some of the other updates to the guidelines, like the equity considerations and the inclusion of transgender and gender diverse people who choose to chest feed and explain a little bit more about the term chest feeding.
1: Yeah. Um, So, so part um, there's a a little section in the guidelines about, um, about, equity considerations. So thinking about the ways in which um, particularly Black women, um, but other women of color also have not, uh, you know, um, have not been well supported and listened to in general um, during pregnancy and breastfeeding that have led to, to higher rates of Of maternal and and child morbidity and mortality and also lower rates of breastfeeding uptake. Um, And so I think it's really incredible and I I think this also came from really listening to and and getting input from community members on really thinking about um, how do we approach um, this topic of infant feeding for people with HIV from a perspective that is not just about like What does the research say? What does the data say? But that really takes into account like an equity frame of how do we support all birthing people with HIV of all races and backgrounds? And how do we really make sure that we're supporting Black women um, and birthing people with HIV to make sure that they have what they need to be able to to feed their babies. Um, and part of that equity consideration is also thinking about that because of, um, you know, really because of the impact of structural racism, um, Black women and their babies and and other women of color and their babies are, are also um, disproportionately impacted by some of the conditions that, that can be um, attenuated by breastfeeding that may be reduced by breastfeeding. And so that's another um, important way of thinking about how are we balancing this question of, like, what's good for the holistic health of the, of the parent-baby dyad and of the family? Um, And then the, the, the term about, um, the question about chest feeding, um, you know, not everyone who gives birth identifies as a woman. Um, There are individuals who are transgender men or non-binary individuals who have, the capacity and do get pregnant and give birth and wanna feed their babies from their body, um, but may not identify with some of the sort of more female like anatomical terms like breast. And so for a lot of those people, there are a lot of different terms that people may use, um, but one um, that's in current use is the term chest feeding to really uh, uh, more broadly refer to the process of feeding a baby from your body.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for explaining those. Um, let's see. I saw another comment. In the U.S., we behave as if this is new information, but breast, chest feeding with HIV and effective meds for parent has been the standard of care in many settings worldwide for many years with great success. And I also echo a comment from Maria a little earlier where some mothers in South Africa were doing it as well. Like, that's what I could never understand. I had my first child in 2010, and the conversation didn't come up then. But then after that, I started hearing conversations or knowing that moms were breastfeeding in other parts of the world. And I have this really um, advocate that I love, Lucy. She lives in Kenya. Mm -hmm. And Lucy is... She, We look alike, and I could not understand how come this girl that looks like me could breastfeed her child, and I couldn't. I just, like, for the life of me, it's just my placement in the world has made it to where I can't have access to this thing that I desire and just, like, just it made me feel so bad to not be able to breastfeed. It just that was depressing. And now, mm-hmm. to I, I just feel like some light like I see some light at the end of the tunnel for so many other people. Maybe it won't be so like something you have to fight so hard to get to. Mm-hmm. Maybe, hopefully, you know, and as we continue to just educate and advocate and get policies changed, maybe it will be fingers crossed. Um.
1: And it's, you know, I know um, Pamela Morrison has, um, has put a couple of comments in as well. And, you know, she's been a huge advocate for breastfeeding for people with HIV for many, many, many years. And, um, and, and, I think this is a situation where we do we think of ourselves as like, we're, you know, we're in the global north, we're like, so much more advanced, we're the cutting edge, like, people should be listening to us when really, like, this is an opportunity to learn from, um, from programs and experiences in, um, in sub-Saharan Africa, where people have been doing this for so long. Um, And there are, um, there are both a lot of people like, Pamela and other um, individuals who have experience with supporting people with breastfeeding um, in, in other parts of the world. And we have, we have published experiences like um, from Tanzania of, of, series of, of people breastfeeding with support and how they structured their program and had zero transmissions um, that we can look to for guidance. Um, in addition to now a growing number of, um, of reports from the United States of people who have Breastfed with HIV with zero transmissions, um, and our beloved friend and um, and colleague Judy Levison and her team at Baylor um, just published a, a really large series drawn from multiple sites across the United States and Canada um, of people who have breastfed while living with HIV. Um, some many people who um, were. Uh, on medications at the time they got pregnant, and and some people who started medications during pregnancy, um, and in all of those, there have been zero transmissions.
0: Yes. Um... Thank you. I was seeing some of, okay, no, first, our survey, please, y'all, please, please, please take this survey that is posted here, the comment is being shown. It helps us to ensure that we are continuing to provide programming that is beneficial, that is things that you want to hear and talk about. So please just take a moment to fill that out so that we um, stay on track there. I appreciate you. We appreciate you. Um, speaking of Pamela, she had wrote a comment where she says that the different guidance for different countries has been really hard for immigrant mothers. Thank you for bringing it up. Thank you, Pamela, so much for your continued work for so long. Thank you. Um, it's so many, you know, this work has preceded me, has preceded you know, so many of our experiences. But I thank you, and it's just coming together and tying those ends that don't really feel a tide, It feels like we're getting somewhere, but, you know, it's still something that we're all going to have to continue to speak out and advocate for. I see Claire's um, question of CC, how do we bring justice to women whose names have been dragged in mud for being suspected to breastfeed? These women's coverage brought us to this moment. Absolutely. Like, I, the only thing I can do is continue to pay reverence and thank you and pay homage to those individuals. I understand that you know for a long time. You know we kind of know the things before we get it in research. Sometimes people we 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 be doing stuff. So I'm thankful and so much gratitude for the people that have come before me, before Heather, before you know the other women that I know personally who have fed. Thank you. It's the only thing that I can say.
1: And I think that's, um, sorry, I know that there's a, a an, I, I think that is such an important question too of like, how do we repair the trauma that we've caused as as healthcare providers and as a healthcare system um, in in this this prohibition and, and the, the, the threats are calling CPS and it's, I don't have the answer to that, but I think it is a really important thing to talk about and call attention to.
0: Thank you, Claire. And thank you, Leela. I loved it. Um, Comment. It just came up from Theodore. Enjoyed this program. I'm a provider that was eagerly anticipating these guideline changes. Currently, our state will pay for banked human milk for pregnant persons affected by HIV. Wow. Wow.
1: Can I ask, um, Theodore, where you're located? What state you're in? If you're able to respond, but I think that's a huge. Um, I, I so it is the guidelines actually specifically say that um, that you know people should have a choice that people um, with undetectable viral loads or people who for whatever reason are not able are struggling with taking their antiretrovirals and and have a detectable viral load um, need to be also offered the choice of formula feeding or bangtum and donor milk. And, and banked human donor milk is something that is um, sometimes in short supply um, in certain locations and that isn't always covered by insurance. And so I think that that, um, I think it would be incredible if like Ryan White Part D programs covered Banked human donor milk, or if um, you know, right now, um, like prematurity is one of the um, one of the indications for insurance covering banked human donor milk. But if we could get HIV to be an indication everywhere, that would be incredible. And I think um, Dr. Jones, that hopefully there still, you know, will be a place for that because I think as CC has mentioned a couple of times, like there are going to be lots of reasons why people choose not to breast or chest feed. And the guidelines do talk about that it's important that there's support for um, access to, to clean and safe formula and that there's access to banked human donor milk.
0: It's a game changer. Like I never, I had more donor milk out of my head. I know I can't never afford that. We were sitting in a conference one time and a girl came afterwards and said she was paying like, a cc, $20 a cc for milk. Other people was getting milk off of the internet. Like they didn't even, you don't know anything about the person that you're getting the milk from. And for some reason, it just seems a lot unsafer to me. I'm no medical provider, but it just seems a lot less safe than what I hear going on.
1: And it is. Banked human donor milk is, um, it's screened, it's processed safely. Um, It's, uh, it is, it is much, much safer than, um, than getting informal milk exchanges, like, um, like off of Facebook.
0: So I'm not sure where Krista, I think you met clear, but lives, but a similar program for human breast milk is in Michigan. I believe it is through Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Maybe that is, I'm not sure if that's where everybody's located, but that's phenomenal. It's amazing. <laughs> it made me smile. Okay, so we are coming to the end. I'm going to ask you, while we can agree that the landscape of breast and chest feeding and HIV is changing, are there any changes that you would personally like to see happen in the near and far future?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I, I think it would be wonderful if we could get to a point where we know um, that under this set of conditions, we can eliminate the risk of HIV transmission through lactation, through breast or chest feeding. Um, I mean, I think, again, like I've said, we don't need to be at that point to support people in making that decision. Um, But I think that it would be really amazing if we could get the research to be able to say, like, if you're on your medications from before pregnancy or in the first trimester and you're undetectable um, and you continue on your antiretrovirals and stay undetectable through breastfeeding, there's zero risk of transmission. And we can treat infant feeding for people with HIV the same way we treat infant feeding for people without HIV, which is, I feel like, you know, we've gotten sort of so close to that point when we think about um, pregnancy and reproduction in general for people living with HIV, that I think it would be incredible to get to that point for breast and chest feeding for people with HIV. Um, What about you? Are there any changes that you would like to see happen in the near and far future?
0: Yes, I would like to see. Uh, I would like to see more people. I don't know how many people. So in my head, <laughs> advocating for your own health when you go into a provider's office, like understanding that this is a partnership. I love that term, a partnership between you and that. Like, just they can't tell you what you can't do like if you are being told what you can't do then I don't know maybe reconsider the care you are receiving or ask a little bit more probe a little bit more something because a provide that's not a provider's job is to tell you what to do with your body you can research there are resources out here you can um there are advocates that you can speak to there we just have so a, a plethora of information available to us. Um, And I do understand that I speak from this place of privilege of my proximity to resources, but don't, nobody can tell you what to do with your body. Fight for yourself, please. And if you don't feel like you can fight for yourself, please link yourself with a community who can step in for you when you are unable to do so. Um,
1: And I think my challenge to, um, sorry to like steal the mic back. I I think um, my challenge to healthcare providers, myself included, is like, how can we get to a place where we can say, yes, I can support you? Like, I feel like that should be the question that we're asking anytime somebody walks into our clinic or our office is, is, you know, how how can we get to a yes? Um, And how can we get to a place of support?
0: Yes, I love this. Hey, Mara lisa. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a wonderful conversation. Um, you can find links all up and down the comment section. One to our survey that you can please take is very brief. Other to the updates, the actual updates to the um, perinatal HIV clinical guidelines. Um I thank you all for joining us today. We hope that you will join us for our next. And with that, we are out. Bye,
1: everybody. Thank
0: you.